good morning, first service. Listen, I want to say uh, at the outset, just thank you for the commitment you've made to be here. I don't take that lightly. We as a staff don't take that lightly. You've got a lot of stuff going in your story, and the fact that you've paused that story to be here, we are grateful for. My goal over the next few minutes is to change the way that you view God and to change the way you go about doing life by challenging your intellect and engaging your heart. Those are my two goals today. We're going to go through a lot of Bible, not because I'm hiding behind it, but because I believe today we've got to change the way that we're approaching, the way that we go about life and relationships. We've got a big challenge ahead of us today. My question for you is, are you up for it? Are you here for this? I believe that God is communicating to me not only just a moment ago, but through this entire week, that these words, hear me on this, I've been here quite a while. That these words that I say today may be the most important words that I speak inside of this room in my time here. That's just the burden that's resting on me as we pace through this material. You know what I believe that's about? I believe it is God seeking to change our hearts today. And I'm especially sensitive to that standing up in front of you. We've got some cool places to go today. I would challenge you, if you have a copy of your Bible on your device, to pull that up. Or if you're a note taker, you grab a pen and a sheet of paper. Something that is said today is going to revolutionize not only the way that you view the world, but the way that you view your story. Man, I'm just all about some promises this morning, right? Got a very long script. Some of this stuff I'll say and some I may not. We're going to trust God for that over these next few minutes. There are a few words that I could speak from this stage that would send chills down our spines this morning. The reason that would be the reaction is because these words attack how we like to think we're presenting ourselves to other people. They stand in opposition to words that are widely celebrated today. You'll recognize these words. They're hot in culture. Words like genuine, authentic, transparent. And even one of the words that we use to describe this church, a very brave and courageous word, real, a word that's gotten us in trouble, a word that the staff says that I say just like Brett Favre, real. Everyone's okay with these words. In fact, due to a lot, and I mean a lot of things that have happened in our world that have eroded most people's trust in larger organizations, like denominations and political parties, both of which seem to operate with the same set of standards here lately, which is confusing. We nearly demand these days that people are who they say they are. Don't you find that you have that sensitivity today? Listen, if you say you're something, you better be that something. So this takes me to the inverse and in light of that. Today we have very little tolerance for those among us who aren't who they say they are. For these people, we use words and notice your emotional reaction to these words. Words like fake and fraud, and poser, and liar. And one that I picked up years ago, and my wife says that I use it way too often, and nobody knows what it means, so I'm going to test that theory right now. Maybe she's right, maybe she's not. I say the word charlatan. Anybody ever heard that word? Thank you very much. It's more common than she believes. Shh, right? But, and here's the truth, and I'm glad we can say this kind of thing at a church like this. By the way, I'm so thankful for churches like this, aren't you? Where we can walk in the doors and we can just speak the truth. And we don't have to pretend that we have more Jesus last week than we actually had. Because Jesus meets us where we are. The truth is, we're all faking it to some degree. I'm not saying this to be harsh. I'm just saying this to be honest. 
I did some push-ups side stage before you guys got here. I will say this, though, in that honesty. Many of us are trapped in jobs and relationships that started off in a lie. Even if that lie was motivated by the desire to please the people around us, even if it had no malicious intent at all. Here's a slogan, not often said, but very often lived by. You never take a second glance at your first impression. Why would you? After a while, it's just easier to go with it, right? If it's how it got started, it might as well be how it keeps going. I believe the most blatant and difficult place I see this as I interact with the world around me is in marriages. At some point, no matter the false contract, reality checks are coming for a marriage. Anybody in here married today? So often, that's when the real, true, authentic, genuine us emerges. See, like it or not, life is the true litmus test of who we are. What life brings to us and our reactions to what life brings to us tell us a great deal about what's beneath the surface. In that way, I'm so thankful for 2020 because it's allowed us to show the people around us what's actually beneath the surface. And also, as a follow-up to that, it's allowed God access to those things because we realize them, some of us, for the first time. I say this a lot from this stage, and I'm going to repeat it again today because it sets the stage for where we're going. It's what's inside of us that drives us. Think about that for a moment. The Bible is so very open about this. As modern people, we like to pretend that it isn't true because we have filters and social media and subdivisions and garages. But it is so clearly true that what's inside of us that drives us, we're the emperor and his clothes. This is why the Bible includes statements like this. We're going to get into a lot of the Bible today. Remember I told you that. You may want to jot these down. If you're not a note taker, then you can find us through the Bible app. It will locate that you're at this church. You can just click on that. All these verses will be listed. We start today with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How countercultural is the message of the Bible in that way? You with me for a service? The Bible says in Matthew 15, 17 through 19. Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? By the way, before you send me emails or get mad about me being crass, this is actually Jesus Christ saying this, okay? You need to take it up with him. Send him an email. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, the interior place. This defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's confusing. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Not only did Jesus teach this, he also practiced it. One day he healed a man, the group around him, they got very upset at this fact. Not that he healed someone in particular, but that he said that the person's sins were forgiven. They said there's no way that this man has the right to say that sort of thing. Mark chapter 2 verse 8 says, Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Question in your heart, not in your head. Those are two very different places, aren't they, first service? A question in one doesn't at all feel like that same question in the other. 
It's that internal place often referred to as the hidden place. If you're a Christian, a Jesus follower here, and you read the Bible frequently, I would encourage you to crack open Psalm 51 to discover what happens in that hidden place. In these hidden places, that's where we store the templates for the patterns that our lives live out. As Austin taught us last week, Jacob had his patterns, didn't he? And so do we. I love that we can admit that here. This week, I have fell into some of those old patterns because of new circumstances. Beautiful teaching by Austin last week. We'll be taking a closer look at patterns today. Three of them, actually. I find them to be so helpful as a means to understand ourselves. And absolutely, most importantly, to invite God into those parts of ourselves that we're so ashamed of and feel guilty over. It's time to invite God into those places so they can stop running our lives. Deal? Listen, I don't know if you want a gold star for feeling like so full of shame because of what happened in your life this week, but we just don't hand those out here because we don't want to reward that behavior. We believe that Jesus, as the Bible teaches, came to earth and ran his lap to save humanity. And the Bible mentions that when he went to the cross, he did it despising shame. So if you're here today and you love shame, you have put yourself on a different team and I'm inviting you over to the Jesus team where we absolutely despise shame. You with me on that? Shame has no place here. And if you're feeling it, it's the work of the enemy over your heart, not the presence of Jesus Christ wooing you into a life of freedom. No matter who we are, There are patterns that are planted deeply within us. Now watch this. I'm about to bring up the original story. I'm about to go all the way back to the start. And I do this all the time. In fact, the regulars here are probably like, not with Genesis again. I promise we'll make a brief stop here. But I just want to encourage you, no matter your spiritual maturity level, if you even know that, you should ponder this story often. You should know its implications like the back of your hand. There's a reason this story comes first because the most universal things are also the most ancient. And when God authored this part of the story, how it all got started, he wanted us to understand so many things about him. And I believe so many things about ourselves. It shows us the template of how things got started and what we're up against as fallen people. Let me show you what I mean. Relationally speaking, both in our relationships with ourselves and others, we all follow a very specific pattern. It's how we find ourselves in that isolated place where we feel dejected and angry. Is that just a pastor thing or does everybody feel that? No? (laughs) Noted. All right, here's the pattern. This is where we engage your mind. We're not one of those churches that just assumes that you're too dumb to understand the things in the Bible. I believe in you more than that. My teaching is going to bear that out today. Here's the pattern. Deception, discovery, distance. I'm going to slow down here for just a moment. I want you to take this template, and I just want you to lay it over your life. In those times where you've been the most angry with someone else, and the most disgusted when people start telling you about God closing doors and opening windows and all those foolish things they say, think about this pattern. 
Does it represent what was going on during that time? Now, let's lay it over the original story. It began externally through the questioning of the enemy. And through the medium of doubt, he infected us all. It's so easy to see where others are deceiving themselves, isn't it? It's so difficult to see where we deceive ourselves. Here we see the connection between what Austin said last week and what we're talking about today. Jacob's past, where most of his regret lived, was marked with deception. Ben's past, where most of his regret lives, was marked with deception. Then we move to discovery. This is a fun phase, isn't it? What's done in the darkness will and should be brought to the light for our own sakes. Now, having grown up in a very conservative expression of a very conservative and strict denomination, this idea was used in an attempt to quite literally scare the hell out of me. Have you ever been there in a church? If we can't think it out of you, we will scare it out of you. I'd like to correct this if I can, just in case this happened to you too, because church hurt is a real thing and it lasts much longer than people want to believe. In fact, some of you are sitting in this room here today because you've experienced it. Having something in the light is exactly where you want it. That's where the healing takes place, not the guilt and the shame. Often though, it doesn't feel that way. I think maybe if we understood the Bible a little more, it would. So can I just read three verses for you just to kind of prove this point so we can move on? The Bible is much more succinct than me. Thank God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to figure out what is pleasing to God. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's some difficult teaching inside the Bible, isn't it? I mean, if we were to take a moment and just put my life up here, the things that I've participated in darkness, I wouldn't just have to move out of this town. I would have to leave the country. We're all kind of afraid of that deep down, but what the Bible is saying right here is step one, stop it. Notice the callback. Step one is to stop it. That's difficult teaching that we've kind of avoided inside of the church. Not today. Romans chapter six and a few verses. You won't remember the numbers, but you'll pay attention as I read them, right? We know that our old self was crucified. That means brutally put to death with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be slaves to that stuff. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It isn't for shame's sake that Jesus died and was resurrected. It's for freedom's sake that he did those things. Step two, after we stop it, we live free. I love that part of the Christian message. It's a part that we should be embracing and showing the world more. Living free means owning our own stories and accepting other people in theirs no matter where they are on their health and Christian journey. 
We're going to get to more of that later. Man, I'm so passionate. Second service is going to have to interrupt this one and just find a seat, okay? I wouldn't do that to you. 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You should tell as many people as possible of your deliverance. That means you're going to have to let them know what Jesus rescued you from. And when you do that, it won't be a short source of shame because you understand, I'm telling you exactly how powerful God is in my life. You can know the bad spots in my story because it's during those spots that God loved me the most. Step three, you start telling your story. See, that's what the Bible means when you need to be discovered, when you need to be seen. Unfortunately, that part of the process is so difficult, we do this third. We distance ourselves. The enemy gets us to go there, and when he does, he knows there's a solid chance. Once we get there, we'll never leave. Our shame causes in us hiding just like that original couple And then the only company we have is ourselves. Although it isn't Dave Matthews, as Austin was so quick to point out last week, I would like to quote a song. Is that okay? It's just part of how I do things. Music matters to me, and I don't really care if he appreciates it or not. Maybe you will. This man, Jason Isbell, he's got a way with words. He's really gritty in a way that Dave Matthews just can't pull off. He says this, not in one of, a, one of his deep cuts. It's actually a very famous song of his. Again, showing Austin that I do know what I'm doing up here. A heart on the run keeps a hand on a gun. He can't trust anyone. And then in his own company, he writes these words, I was so sure what I needed was more, so I tried to shoot out the sun. Boy, if that doesn't describe so much of my 20s and 30s, how about you? When our choices that we don't like take us to places that we never wanted, we must be on alert for service. This is when the enemy deceives us most easily. These are the times we start to think that everything is up to us, just like Jacob. And we fall into... The addiction cycle. We're going to talk about this for the next few minutes that we have together today. The addiction cycle is started by our own decisions and it's fueled by our own decisions. Now, before you think that you're off the hook because you haven't done cocaine or heroin this week, let me tell you, there are other things that you can be addicted to. What I love about this place is we certainly recognize those kinds of addictions because there are people among us who are fighting them every day and they are difficult to defeat, aren't they? You don't have to speak up right there if you're one of those people. I just want you to know and understand, even if you've been in hiding your whole life, you're welcome here even if you are addicted to substance. But I'll also let you know today that it's very possible to be addicted 
to the favor of other people. It's very possible for you to be addicted to your Christian behavior. It's very possible for you to be addicted to your public perception. Are you see where I'm going today? There's so many other things other than substance, other than methamphetamines and other prescription drugs that are in our bathrooms. There's so many other things that we can be addicted to. And I believe the enemy is having a field day operating in these spaces because they're acceptable inside of the Christian community. We've bought the lie. Look good, play good inside of the church today, haven't we? No offense, Neon. We're going to look at this addiction cycle, and here's my hope. I'm going to settle down for just a moment so you can listen easier. My hope is when you see this, it will explain some of that behavior that brings you the most shame because you just can't shake it. You guys ready for this? When this was explained to me, my whole life in an instant made sense, and that's what I want to give to you today. The addiction cycle starts with fantasy. This part of the cycle is mental escapism. It's when we give in to the myth of nostalgia and believe that things were better when. You know what solved that for me was a VHS in my parents' house of me actually playing the sport of football. Watching it was not nearly as powerful and beautiful as I remember. But we believe that, don't we? Often a song or a smell or social media will call this fantasy out in us. It's a departure from a staunch commitment to reality. And when we begin to entertain fantasy, we have fallen into the cycle of addiction. Next, we move to ritual. This is where the mental begins to manifest in the physical. Until you have a lot of practice in understanding the speed and the power of this cycle, this is the place where you'll first notice what you've been fantasizing about. This ritual usually has a long and practice history. It will almost feel normal to you. It sounds like driving up to Shuckers or opening Instagram or asking for cash back at the grocery store so it doesn't show in the bank. After we get past ritual, first entertaining fantasy and then participating in ritual, we get to the bottom of the cycle acting out. And this is the shame ceiling step. This is the step where things are locked into our memory and we can't believe that we actually did those things. The fast pace of fantasy doesn't allow interruption. Think of speeding train here. This is why we get locked in in that moment where we're thinking, I can't believe I'm about to do this. Am I going to do this? I'm not the kind of person that does this. And then suddenly it's over because we've done it. This is the point where nearly every time will gives way to want. Thinking rationally about action and consequence, at this point in the cycle, nearly impossible. That's why when people around us ask us this question, how could you, we never have a really good answer for that question, do we? Are we getting too real here today? I can take a left and head to Philippians if that's going to make everybody feel better. I just feel like for us today to talk about things in this manner with brutal honesty, that's what we really need to help us, isn't it? It's what I needed. Maybe I'm the only Neanderthal in the room, but I needed it. 
After acting out, then we get to the shame. This is the addiction cycle's final and secret weapon. I say secret because the enemy certainly doesn't lead with this. Hey, after this acting out, you're going to be covered in shame for the rest of your life. But shame hides in those hidden secret places in the internal environment. Ritual takes us outside of ourselves, acting out the same, but then in shame we go back internal. And guess what's there waiting on us in the internal places? Fantasies, false promises. And so we have the cycle. This feels so true and powerful, doesn't it? So many of us have lived it out. That doesn't mean that we have to keep living it out. That's the good news today. Everybody here for the good news? It doesn't matter how you began the cycle or what's trapped you in it. The desire of God is to help you find your way out by keeping you company. But we have to stop thinking that the battle is won at the bottom. It's not won there. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, this last final phrase of this verse, take every thought captive to obey Christ. It doesn't say every action captive to obey Christ because the Bible understands it starts at the top. That's where you win or lose the battle. When it comes to living a healthy life, huge phrase here, timing is everything. The Bible conveys to us in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, while we were still weak. Man, this verse right here, we should just put it out on the road. We should put it on every road. We should be living it with our lives every moment. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Please stop cleaning yourself up, hoping God will accept you then. That's not the timing of Jesus Christ. That's the timing of the judgmental people around you. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Jesus moves in in the time where you feel that you deserve it the least and he communicates value and love to you because he knows when he meets you there, you'll never forget it. Some of us, we have found the bottom and what we pushed off of was the rock of the love of Jesus Christ and now we sit here. Starting by interrupting that fantasy is so critical. It's gonna take courage. And we're going to have to have some things that we use to replace that addiction cycle. I call it the alternative cycle because I'm really lousy at naming things. But the rest of it's good, so stick with me. We replace fantasy with imagination. That means rather than coping, we determine that we're going to co-create with God through our imagination. Such a big shift, it means Trading being curious about what we can take from others and being more curious about what we can learn from our own journey, how God's calling us to work. It's a journey of discovery where we ask questions to drive ourselves deeper, not into fantasy futures, but into real, concrete moments in our own lives. Why have you experienced the things that you have? Because God's been up to something since the beginning. Tucked away in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a beautiful description of us as people. We are God's fellow workers. Think about that for a moment. The way that God sees you is passing the interview and joining his team and working with him for the rest of your life. 
to be on a rescue mission for people that are just like you, that have fought the same things that you're fighting in your history. You are so equipped to be comfortable in that space. And God says, go, go, work with me to bring them to me. And once you get them to me, I will prepare the meal. I will fill them up and help them to live free. It starts with our imagination, being fellow workers. What an incredible privilege. Then instead of ritual, we adopt discipline. Instead of a subconscious stumbling towards sin, discipline is a determined dance towards our destiny. Yes, I said dance because there's an artistry here, not a march, a dance. Spiritual disciplines are an invitation into intimacy with God. That's why they're there. It's where we discover through our imagination what could be possible if we actually took God seriously and believed what he says about us. Do you see how that replaces the downward spiral of ritual? I want to tell you just in a brief moment here, there are certain things about God that you will only discover through discipline. I can't give them to you. He wants to give them to you. Then we go to service where we trade our anxiety over the past for activity in the present. It's stepping outside of ourselves, not to take, rather to give. We're overwhelmed with so many unnecessary things. It would be great in our lives if we could commit to service. The real tragedy for those of us in the room that have faith is that we don't spend much time acting that faith out. And as a result, it usually dies. James chapter 2 says, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now, I did a little research this week, and I discovered it's very hard, hard to be healthy and dead at the same time. You can jot that down. Think about it this week. Ponder these things. Healing means helping, and then we live as a secure people, not full of shame, but full of the security of knowing who we are. I believe Proverbs says this so beautifully. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. And you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. How many years did Jacob waste trying to be someone he wasn't? Addicted to deception as a means of getting what he wanted. This characteristic defines maybe his whole life. This way of life means that because you don't know who you are, you'll spend your life taking from others what isn't yours, demanding a pound of flesh. And hear me on this as we close today. It's the people that you love the most that you will hurt the most. There's so much at stake here, church. See, trading addiction for its alternative can only happen through the loving power of Jesus Christ. If you're holding him at bay, reject everything I've told you today. It just won't work. He's the fuel for trading cycles. This is the most understated and underrated fact, isn't it? Jesus showed through his actions just how full and how grand and how sacrificial the love of God is for each and every one of us here today. I wish everybody would just say amen in unison. When it comes to the things in our lives that are destroying us, known or unknown, 
I want you to hear today, please. God gets into the cycle with us so that we can get out of the cycle with him. We'll close with this, Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't you ever go back to being a slave again. And if you think you might, you start reaching for other people who are living free. And we will help. Let's pray together. God, for those of us here today who are trapped in a cycle and we're just now getting that for the first time, I ask for your grace and your mercy. I pray against the shame that the enemy loves to sling over our lives. For those of us who have willingly participated, hurting those around us repeatedly, we ask for mercy. For those of us who are so far from ever being in a cycle, we've forgotten how it feels. Remind us that without you, God, we'd still be there. And we pray for our church. We ask that you would bring us to hurting so that here they'll find the true love that only you can offer. We are your fellow workers, God, and proud to be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.